Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. Today, I'm having a conversation with Nuno Casola, a Portuguese filmmaker and cinematographer based in Athens. Working in the intersection of cinema, anthropology and fictional archaeology, Nuno's artistic practice revolves around the notion of alterity and body displacement through an array of different media, including video, photography, sound, installation, objects, text and actions. Nuno is also one of the co-founders of Cora, a community center committed to provide services to anyone that needs them. Nuno is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals Movement 5, focusing on modes of governance through a collective research on the notion of self-organization. In this conversation, we discuss about the values of solidarity and community through experiences of moving in search for the other. Nuno, welcome to Palirum. Hello, Mirto. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you for joining me today. It seems to me that the experience of moving has been an integral part of your life, but also there is an ongoing thread in your body of work, which has to do with movement, with the notion of crossing, and the idea of the border as this in-between space. So I'm wondering, what is moving for you? I think a lot of things are moving. I don't know how to pinpoint the, everything that is moving, but Fortunately, I have the privilege of of choosing where I want to go. I have a passport that allows me to go. So somehow these movements, I think they came from um, the perception that most of my life I was encounter or being crossed or getting to know people that were very similar to me. The village that I was born, everyone was very similar to me, like similar backgrounds and similar images and similar ideas. Then in the, at the city, close by to the village. And then when I went to university, doesn't mean that it's like a, everyone was thinking the same. I'm not, I'm not talking about this uh, homogenous thing, but in terms of bodies, the way that bodies work and the way that they feel and the way that they interact with others, the way that they propose a different type of life or a different type of action in this, in this planet. So I didn't, I didn't have the, um, the confrontation with the others. And I think throughout, when I moved outside of Portugal, traveling, traveling a, a little bit alone through Europe and going to other places, I would, would start, I think the, this is where 
the realization that other people exist. It seems very nonsense. It seems very common sense and very naive, uh, me saying this, but uh, it, it's kind of true of like, uh, okay, there are other people in the world. It's not just people that I see from magazines or newspapers or TV or internet at the time, but they are seeing on the street and so on. And then when I went to Brazil to do this master, and that I traveled in some of the countries in South America, this was where I was confronted with the actual other that is very, very different from me, that moves in a different way, but looks looks different from me. And of course, Portugal having this very old relation, very tricky one and very problematic one, not understood from the Portuguese side with Brazil, or at least not reflected the, the relationship that exists between Portugal and Brazil. So this was when I was more confronted with my background, basically. How do you try to convey that through your works? I think in the beginning it was very reflected on me. Until, 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 until I think until this master. I think kind of the master was the, was the moment that I was pointing all the work or the recordings or or recordings with an audio recorder or with a or with a camera or drawings or writing or performative let's say or action based stuff uh, that was to, that was pointed towards me what i was feeling what i was what i was experiencing what i wanted to do these curiosities of things that i would see and that was very very pointed to me i stopped uh, looking at me so i went to to do this master then i went back to portugal and then i went i wanted to go back to brazil because i enjoyed very much so then i returned and then i stayed there for four years four years and something i think and was there that for the first time i filmed someone that wasn't me for example and this i think was very crucial of pointing the camera and the camera towards the other and also at the same time having the conscious starting to have the conscious consciousness of and being aware of the, the the power of the camera to point to another one that I just met for example or with all the problematics that that arise from uh, cinema and from all this historical background that we have who grabs the camera, who has the economical uh, possibility to buy a camera, who points the camera to whom, who tells the story, who tells the story of the other, the, the, with all these problematics. But was for me like a, a, a big, let's say, a significant step or stage to, to point the camera to the other person. Can you give an example of uh, one of your earliest works when you started doing that? I was in a in a in a in a villa in the Amazon, in the, one of the cities um, which they called Ribeirinhos, which is people that that live next to the, the the river, the Amazon River. And then I went. I was invited to go there because I met um, a filmmaker, George Bodansky. He told me that he couldn't go to this invitation because he used to go there, because there was this program from a university from Pará, from Belém do Pará, that they would invite artists and researchers uh, from Brazil to travel for 15 days or more, more than 15 days in a boat going up the river and present work and discuss and talk and hang out. And sometimes the boat, boat will stop and there will be workshops done done there at the, at the, these places that they call the Ribeirinhos, like the people that live the cities or villages that that are settled next to the river bay. And I think this was the first time that I went that I went to the Amazon. I went to twice, both under this uh, this program, which was very good because most of the people that were part of the the team and part of the group they were from the region. So very different from foreigners going there and hanging out and looking to the river and looking to people and talking with the people and so on. 
I was the only Portuguese there. The, all of them, they were Brazilians. And I met this kid. So we were playing chess, which I'm very bad on playing chess. There were all these kids that they were very, very good. It's not very, very difficult to be very, very good in chess comparison to me. But they were very good and I was playing there and hanging out and talking with them, getting to know what they were doing and so on, like little kids uh, from a school while the, the, other group, the other people from the group from, the, from this project, they were doing workshops uh, or photography workshops or this or that. And I had my camera, I was somehow telling the kids how the camera worked, just giving the camera to the kids, but like very, very informal without any, without any clear intention of what I was doing there. And I remember that... The school was very, was far away from the from the arbor where the where the boat was was parked, and we had a, a, like a truck I think that they rented to to take um, loudspeakers and people from the boat to the school. So we went. Uh, I remember that the f I went to the school by motorbike, but I know, I knew that there was a pickup uh, to bring people and to bring equipment and so on for the from the boat to the school and vice versa. I took the I we were cleaning everything and then I was already inside of the the pickup and uh, the, this kid Mario Alves that I that I met before asked if he, if where we were going and he said oh we're going to the arbor I said oh can I go with you I said sure of course because all the other kids from the school they were just walking which is like a very long walk for a kid because they have shorter legs so it takes longer so in that situation i felt that somehow because i i i had the sense that it was this this little kid like wit and smart and like taking advantage of the foreigner and taking advantage of the foreigner um uh, facilities, let's say, or more advantages or privilege. So then we went to from the school to the arbor, and then he just walked towards his house. And for that moment, I felt that I that that I I, I met him before. So I was I was filming him. I was taking advantage of him, and he was taking advantage of me of this of this access that that I had to the pickup, and I was taking advantage of him as him being this figure that already inscribed this old imagination of the other, of the exotic other, all, 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 all of the things that were happening at the time. And of course, it was a very unbalanced power, power dynamic there, because I had the camera, white, being there, foreigner, older, uh, with access to more layers of, 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 I don't know, of materiality, let's say. But it was a very, was a very interesting exchange. And this was the was the first time that I ever filmed someone else that was not me, and it was very it was very cool because the the kid was at the time of there is this there is this um, feeling or this image there is this um, impression that he was feeling proud at the same time a little bit scared because with it was with people that he didn't know at all, but proud that he was able to go in a pickup and everyone well everyone else was uh, was walking towards towards their houses. Also proud that he was being filmed. Proud that he that he was able to go on a pickup. So all these mixtures of the way that I was breathing, and the way that I was that I was seeing the situation. So it's this relationship, let's say, whatever that means. So this was the first time that I that I recorded someone. No, no. What brought you to Athens? I was living for four years in something in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. I was based there doing things and getting to know people. I was I was also studying. I studied documentary filmmaking there. I was studying also visual anthropology at the university in Sao Paulo. And I was working, I was meeting people, I was hanging out, I was uh, falling in love and falling out of love, having, uh, having heartbreaks and undoing and doing myself in this, in this, in this period. 
So at the time, I think I, because I was a little bit tired of, of getting to, having to apply to visas and going outside of Brazil, coming back again to have six more months of tourist visas, then I start getting too close to, I think was, yes, it was like a, some missionary thing that existed in Brazil, like a, a church facility that existed in Brazil in, in the neighborhood there. Uh, that was one of the few uh, places that were welcoming um, that they were welcoming uh, um, migrants and refugees that were coming from uh, Haiti. And I start hanging out there and I start getting to know people ag again from another place that I never been. I, I, I knew that existed, of course, because of the because of the, the historical the historical importance that Haiti has. So I start I start talking with people there and start to get to know a little bit more why they were there or why they were coming to, to Sao Paulo and so on. And then I start getting curious curious about why they were coming to why they were coming to Sao Paulo that was very far away, and also that I. I learned there that the, there was a religion in the there is a religion in the country that is called voodoo, and I think this was the this can also relate with a, with a previous question that was the, that you that was like the, all these moves why do you move what is moving you and I like I was always very curious on why would I go to other places, so this was very internalized why do I move because I can basically because I can so then I I, I would do that. And then starting to, to, to look towards the others, like if the others can or cannot, and if they can choose or they cannot choose to move. But I was very curious, like why they would go to, to Brazil, why they would move to another place, why, 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 they were, they were, why they were being forced, if they were choosing, not choosing, how, what was the amount of choice did they have when they decide to, when they were, when they were or they were pushed or not, but inside of this... It's not so much black and white or like a one one in zero because even I, I guess that even if you even if you are forced to move to another country there are some instances that you can choose there are some maybe it's not the movement itself that you can choose but you can choose what you bring with you perhaps what you bring inside of your suitcase or you you what you actually bring inside of you to another country. Um, so I was very curious about this. So then I applied to this uh, university, to this program of visual visual anthropology with this project, like a research project for two years, to hang out basically with uh, with this population in uh, with these communities in São Paulo and to get to research of what they would bring material and immaterial. This was in 2015. This was the moment that uh, people are arriving from, from, from the Mediterranean, from, from Turkey and so on, coming from the Middle East, Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and all, the, all, all these places. And because I was getting to, getting to know all this information by newspapers and media outlets, so I decided to come here, just at least to, to get to know by my experience, by my eyes and my body and my hands and so on. So then I came here, I stayed here for a month and a half. I traveled, I stayed two weeks in Athens, stayed two weeks in Idomeni and then stayed two weeks in Athens. And then I went back to Portugal. I grabbed my visa, went back to Brazil. When I arrived in Brazil, after a couple of months of applying for the thing, getting the paperwork for this, uh, for this project, there was the coup d'etat that they changed governments from Giuma to Temer. And then the new president cut all the scholarships. Uh, for new projects at universities 
as an austerity measure and the way that he that he dealt with uh, with the country. So then I was there with a research visa that didn't allow me to work in any other field and any other university or company or what whatever. Then I decided to come here to Greece. And what did you do here when you first arrived? I stayed for uh, some weeks at um, Yorgo's house. That is a friend of a friend of mine. I arrived here without knowing any single person. The same thing that I did the first time that I went to Brazil. Curious enough, it was one of the times that I was leaving my house and going to the center to get... This was the first weeks of, of the first days of living in that area of Athens. I passed in front a building that existed in, uh, in Asclepium, in a corner. And I saw some people working outside of cutting wood and bringing buckets of paint and being, bringing trash from inside out. Everyone dressed in a funny way, let's say, not in a, let's say, conservative way. And then I just saw them, felt very, I felt very inquired by what was happening there, and, but then I just went to the center. The second time that I came from my house, I did the same route from Asclepiou, passed in front of the same building, saw different people still with, uh, with uh, non-conservative uh, outfits, doing similar things, bringing trash out, bringing trash in, bringing furniture in, bringing trash out, buckets of paint and all this, all this uh, hardware equipment, let's say, or activities, like uh, somehow a construction thing. I don't remember with whom I talk, I think it was with Sam, that now he doesn't live here. And then I asked what they were doing there. They said, oh, we are mm, fixing this building because we are starting a community center here that is called Cora. I said, oh, I have some idea, this is very cool, I just arrived in Greece and I have these ideas of, uh, that, I want to, that I want to have um, cinema workshops to teach people how to make movies and so on. Uh, do you think it is possible to, to do something inside? I said, yeah, maybe I'll just come to the meetings or just come inside and then help us fix this. I remember it might be, might be this conversation, might be another one. Come on board. And then from that day until now, I've been part of the, been part of Cora. So I think they, they were there like a month. And then we still have two months of fixing, fixing the place. And then we opened the building in October 2016. Uh, but now you're in a different building. So yeah, so this building was closed, this one that was operating for two years, and then we had to close this one because of the municipality of Athens. So then now we have, an, we have three other places, one that is in a, one that is in a Guinness, that is a, that's like a three-story building. We have a kitchen, a community kitchen in, in Spetson with Castalias, and we have the free shop, which is still in Asclepiou, very close to the old building. So now we have three spaces, but this is mainly one of the big things that I'm doing in Athens, or this is what I did for almost exclusively, let's say, for many years when I'm here. And now, not now, it's been for a, for a while, but trying to balance the work that I do in Cora and with the rest of the city and the rest of my interests and my desires that I have in the city. Even if Cora taught me a lot, I learned a lot. It's just it's one one incredible school. It's one incredible ride to go through. But it also exists the rest of the city, which core is ins inserted in the in the in a neighborhood in a city. So it's also part of this. I was about to ask you actually, where do you see your filmic practice stand in relation to your more activist and collective work? I can say that is this initial idea that I had of coming to Athens, 
after spending here the a month and a half and then arriving here again and trying to have, have being being granted access to the space that was core at the time and having this idea I want to make a workshops and and teach people how to make movies and so on which is still which is still a big interest of mine but at the time there was one realization that I had was that through the work that I was that we were doing there through the amount of work that we, that was demanded demanded in the building to be done that in order to do something as I wanted to do as a, as a teaching people how to make movies in order for other people to in order for other people to make movies as well this needs to have sustainability and also sustainability in a sense of that things will stay forever but if to stay there for a long time because I was seeing from the, my previous arrival in, in Athens in Greece and then at Cora there was a lot of this uh, fetish, European fetish, or the, the the saviors. They come here, they do a workshop. They come here, they do a documentary, and then they leave. They do a workshop of photography or painting in fabric and teaching people how to make movies or to work with the camera, and then they leave. An initial sense that I have in the when I arrive and when we started with Core, and then it's been more developed and became more complex through the years that I've been that I've been living in the city. That this city needs structures, needs places and needs um, projects and structures that they stay in the city. So it's not a workshop that we need. A workshop in a sense that has a, a limited amount of time, like for three months, we need a space that is a cinema school to, to teach people how to make movies, like a free one, free access with equipment and teachers and question the relationship between teachers and students. So I think this is this is influence. So this is not so much the way that I've been filming. It's somehow my reflections about cinema and the importance of cinema as a tool for change and a tool for telling stories, other types of stories, making movies and making food in order to create and allow for different ways of relating with the other and hopefully abolishing racism and inequality and all this colonial background and, and, and processes that we still, that they still operate until today. And I think food and cinema are two very good tools. One, because we need to eat every day, so we just cook. And somehow the food that one cooks goes inside of the other person's body, so somehow is let's say in a very poetic way, I'm, I will try, that somehow the other person is inside of another person's, like one person eats the other one. So like I was talking this with Hari one of the times that we were hanging out, that, um, that we were talking about food. And I was saying that um, when I cook to you, for you Mirto, for example, I choose the ingredients or I choose the spices. So somehow I'm represented, let's say, in the food that I'm cooking. So, and when you eat the food that I cook, somehow my, this representation goes inside of you. So, and then the, your body processes this, this, this food. So somehow there is this uh, anthropophagic um, element to when one cooks to the other and one cooks to a collective or when a collective cooks to the other collective or when a group cooks to the other group. There is this exchange of, of body matter, like um, organic matter that went through a transformation that uh, that group or that person did on that organic matter. It's also the elimination of the self um, through the other and the transformation to something else. Yes. I'm thinking about that. Yes, could be, because your body then <coughs> absorbs the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that exist in the food. 
So in a way, it's, it's, it's one projection of the self that goes inside of the other, a image or a action or a shape, let's say, a form that goes inside of the other in a, in a sense of a, a dish that would also feed you. So it's it's something that doesn't 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 um, eliminate you. It doesn't erase something to you. It just adds. Mm. This need for structures that you mentioned before and what you have been talking about also brings me back to this notion of autonomy that you mentioned before in relation to self-organization and how we have to create the structures in order to exercise our own autonomy. Well, I didn't say this was um, would be amazing if I would <laughs> have said that, but, I, but it comes from a, Judith, a very inspired by Judith Butler. Um, yes, I and I think I'm not saying this in a general sense. I think the preciousness of of all these thinkers and 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 people that act and at the same time they think and they try to reflect while they act and while they discuss with other peoples, for example, Judith Butler and others, is that easily they they say it in a way that we can reflect on the place that we live. They are not global strategies. They are not universal strategies of saying, oh, we have to have this. Th these sentences and these ideas and these proposals or this need, basically, resonated a lot with me in the place that I am right now, which is Athens, which, which is a place, which is a city that lacks of structures, of just lacks of places that people can meet. Because, because she was talking about in a very, very basic terms, which is, the, I think, was food, shelter, safety, health, and education, I think, if I'm not mistaken, most likely I, I am. I am wrong, or I'm mistaken of, of what she said or what she wrote. If when these things are covered, when these things are covered, not in the sense that they are covered by the state, which would be ideal, and neither that they are covered by a private company that just makes profit out of it, but they are covered by the neighborhoods. But they are covered by the people that live in the neighborhoods, by the structures that that needs to exist in a neighborhood in order to have a healthy relationship with the lo locality of the place that we live and when we have this is I, I i believe the same that is this is when we can start exercising one's autonomy because when we have when we don't have this these structures that to support us basically we need to, to have all these basic needs supported in order then to to start to start exercising it and to start questioning it i'm not saying that this doesn't happen when one doesn't have these structures but I think it's just to allow for more people to exercise that autonomy. Was Cora the first time that you were involved in uh, a self-organized initiative? Like involved, involved, yes. Like completely dived in or, or yes, yes. Like I was in contact with others. Like I was part of other collectives. I didn't start any collective before. Like I started one in Portugal, but it was an art collective. But was in São Paulo, basically. That was the that was the, the place that I was confronted with with um, with self organization, with collectives towards um, political movements and um, anarchist movements and squads. I was involved there, but to some extent that I was like there, just hanging out and also at the same time learning, participating on the assemblies, trying to do stuff, proposing some ideas, but never in, never fully involved as I was in core. Again, the, the consciousness about the other came in that place, in that geographical region, the consciousness about the city as well, the consciousness of who has right to live in the city, who has the right for the city, for whom the city is built, for who is going 
the, the debate that is an ongoing debate in, in Sao Paulo of who has the right to the city, who can live there, who can use it and how to use it. So it was very stressed in a good way, in a, in a, for me, in a very healthy way or in a very, let's say, productive way in a good sense. This was in 2013, like the, the, all the movements, uh, the clashes in the streets in Sao Paulo in 2013, that then they came to... They came to end it up in, in Bolsonaro as a president now. But it was very vibrant of everyone in the streets, like um, demanding for to have cheaper, to have the to, to have cheaper public transportation. And that it transformed into what what we see now in Brazil. It was it was very exciting the whole situation, the four years and something that I lived there. To have this consciousness, to have this contract, to have this to have this process that I learned that from a that I learned this expression from Donna Haraway that she says that uh, undone and, and, and done again. So myself is undone by a situation that it's done again. That relates a little bit with uh, with Suel uh, the this resonance, how we, when we meet the other and all these things. So it's a very cool one. So I think it I was undone and done many, many times for the four years and, and, and something that I lived there. As in a way in Greece or since I moved to since I moved to Athens and other places that I've been since I've been living here. I've been undone and done many times, which is great because this is uh, this is uh, how I want to live my life, actually. Mm. So it's again about a lot of movement, I would say, the way that you describe it. And perhaps it's not a coincidence that you're part of a movement at the School of Infinite Rehearsals to move a bit the discussion. So since you are so much actively involved uh in Cora, with Cora, why? What was your urgency to apply for the program? I think the urgency comes from having the the time to think and uh, the exclusive time to think. The privilege of having time to question or to research and to to share and to make questions and to listen to what other people say about issues of self organization, about ways of organizing together, about how food arrives in the city, how food is, pro is pro produ produced in, in Athens, in Greece, and having the, this, the previous of having time. Like uh, we got the fee from the, from the program that, we, that, we, that it covered the, the seven weeks and more uh, for, the, for the period that we are doing the residency. And me choosing to, to be exclusive in these, uh, in these seven weeks for the residency. And I think the, the urgency comes from five years part of Cora and part of the city and trying to learn more about the city. And but at the same time, always, always in a move, always and, and, and at the same time, always responding to emergencies with in our in the way that we uh, the way that Cora has been operating, unfortunately or fortunately that we have responding too much to urgencies than and emergencies than proposing things. So also we didn't have much time to reflect. I also didn't have much time to reflect on the five years that we have been as Cora, for example, uh, the ways of organizing, ways of thinking, ways of deciding and so on, which also uh, blocks a little bit learning from other experiences and from other people that what the other people have been going. Maybe it's uh, helpful. Maybe it's not helpful. Maybe we can apply. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe we can apply everything. Maybe we apply a, a few strategies or a few tools. And this is, this was the urgency to apply for this program to have these seven weeks of immersion in in this topic at the same time at the, the immersion in this topic and also the immersion of the six people that that were part of the movement 
of talking or reading or going through books or proposing things or even us just trying to decide on things was already a part of it. Uh, where to go, how to do this, where are the spaces to go. Even the, even everything that we didn't do and we wanted to do is part of it because there was a reason for why the, um, we, can take, we can take something from why we didn't go to all the places that we wanted to go, like part of our, our decision-making how we were organizing, how we were um, um, uh, sharing responsibilities and say, okay, you take care of this and you take care of that. And maybe the person didn't take care of it. Maybe the, the other one did. And this came out as the, the, the seven weeks of the residency. So even just the living together for, for seven weeks, when everyone came from collectives, came from, from collective governance, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, very good. It's, uh, was, it's very inspiring. And yeah, I think this is the um, the reason that I applied for this. Also to also to question also this this sense of and this is why I brought this book, but also to question the um, and this came later in the residency, but to question the the sense of the the word and the concept of self organization. So self organization and this idea that that is that is the self that organized oneself. So it's very, at the same time, can be a very individualistic thing. Or even when we have a structure of, of, or a group that's self-organized, it might tend to a, to a blindness towards the other structures that already exist in the city or that exist in the, in the country or that exist in, the, in a continent or whatever. And this is where I bring a new concept. I'm going to open the, the book here. What book did you bring? I brought the, this uh, staying with the, the trouble, making kin in the Cthulhu scene by Donna J. Haraway. And then she has this, uh, well, I did this thing. So I wrote in all the languages that we, that we were speaking. Oh no, actually no, and actually it's missing uh, Indonesian. Well, Hari, <laughs> sorry for this. I will, I will try to update uh, on another version. So I have this, uh, so there is the self-organization in English. This was the common language that we were using. There is a auto-organization, which is in Portuguese. Then auto-organosi, organosi, uh, auto-organization in Spanish, and then urgutlenme in Turkish. And then the, the, the things that are the, the circles around in red, are the, the elements that refer to the self. So the self, auto, which is similar to auto, me, and then the N in or good lenme is the referring to the self, like organizing the self. Haraway has this part of the book that she talks about uh, sympoesis. Can I, can I read a little bit? Of course. Okay. So this is this chapter three from the Staying with the Trouble. And then she says this. Sympoesis, symbiogenes, and the living arts of staying with the trouble. Symbiogenes, this is the title, it's still title, it's not the, the text itself. Anyway, sympoesis is a simple word. It makes making with, not, nothing makes itself, nothing is really autopoetic or self-organizing. In the words of the Inupiat computer world game, earthlings are never alone. That is the radical implication of sympoesis. Sympoesis is a word proper to complex, dynamic, responsive, situated historical systems. It is a word for worldling with in company. Sympoesis enfolds uh, autopoesis and generative unfurls and extends it. 
So having this notion of sympoesis, I propose that we stop saying uh, self-organization and we start saying sim-organization or sim-organização or sim-organosi or out or sim organization or i don't know how it would be in turkish but <laughs> and we still need to find out how it yeah. would be in indonesian and then indonesian and turkish but proposing that we uh change the way to relate also to, to self-organization because uh, because words they they carry a lot of meaning and kind of, they, they they are part of a, the, the way that we this is a, a layer that how to relate with with reality and i think this proposal of of sim sim organization allows for a, a more symbiosis in between organizations that exist and in between collectives that exist in the city, for example, for us to have to inside of the world, the way that we operate in our groups, having the consciousness of how of this new world, let's say of this new concept, is that we are aware that we are not alone in the city or that we are not alone organizing a community kitchen, for example, that are other structures in the neighborhood in Kipseli. And somehow having this, this sense that we are interdependent and we need other people and we, we need to, to have a network in between these in these places. At the same time that uh, now that it became very trendy to use this, uh, this, um, this scientific word, the mycelians for the mushrooms, that there are all these structures, they are all connected. It's really yeah. weird that we have been involved or talking about a self-organization within our groups and, um, you know, always expressing the desire to work more horizontally, work collectively, and we have never kind of questioned the, the very own term yeah. that includes, you know, the self. The self, yeah. So I'm glad that you're bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to move a bit and ask you, so in this um, uh, seven, during these seven weeks, you mentioned before food, which was one of your research interests. How did your individual research interest uh, come to relate to the more collective research that you did together as a group? So I think this uh, initial research it, it came and went. I think this is also this is was also very interesting of understanding the dynamics of the group, and listening to how the, the how the group operates and functions and performs and acts, like to understand that perhaps some ideas that we had in the beginning we put them to the side and then we bring them later, or not. But also to understand the space, like also to understand uh, that maybe we are taking, we are talking too much. Let's let's leave, leave the other people, maybe through the the privileged perspective that I guess that, that I imagined uh, that I feel that Margarita and me have because we are from the city, so we have a lot of let's say power of in of proposing some things because we are from here. So if you are from outside, say okay, kind of uh, do your thing because you know more the city. We are here researching about this topic. So it's also to understand these dynamics of not um, of knowing to to listen more than to talk, and I think this is a this is a good skill to have. How do you say? Yes, yeah, skill to, to listen. Uh, so speaking of listening, one of the exercises that you proposed for the group during the seven weeks, and you did that twice, was that uh, you cooked silently, and on the first instance as well, we ate silently together which was really fun for me to be part of that. And I was wondering how was that for, what was there for you? 
One of the first times was us having uh, going to the fridge and kind of seeing what is on the fridge and, re and deciding what we were going to do before we cook. So this was the first attempt. And the second attempt was deciding on the recipe or someone proposing a recipe. We all have the recipe in front of us, printed on a piece of paper, and then cooking silently, ordering the food, uh, ordering the ingredients to do, the, to do that recipe that we did the vegetarian maklube. And then the third one would be for everyone to bring stuff, to bring produce, to be ingredients, which we don't know in advance what they were going to do, put them on top of the table, and then deciding from what everyone brought, what they was going to be cooked in silence. And what it was for me was that to, to decide without talking, to exercise other ways of, of decision-making. Because we have this, well, we, we talk a lot and we use a lot of sounds. It was just to try out if how would it be to decide on things and to decide how to cook and the amounts of salt and uh, which spices and which not spices to put and which ingredients and who does what throughout the whole process of cooking. Because already cooking together already demands an organization in order not to be a mess and not, not to be a chaos because you would need to, to have the food in the end. So having this sense that already cooking together demands us, uh, levels of organization. So if you if we if we erase the, the layer of speech with words, we have to act and we have to exercise other languages. And for me, it was this like to see how can we how can we decide on things without talking. And, uh, and interestingly enough, the first time where you didn't have a recipe, the process was much faster. Yeah, actually, well, actually it was, yes. Like, we, yeah, we didn't have a recipe, but we had a sense of what we were going to cook. So it's just more to use other, other tools, other languages too. Mm. And also language is a form of power uh, because, of course, not all of us share the same first language. So, so the way that... Uh, each of us is more fluent in English, for example, would also create certain power dynamics, I believe. So for me, it's really interesting that you decided to eliminate that part and try to make a decision otherwise. Yeah, actually, I never realized this. So thank you very much. <laughs> But I guess, yes, I think, uh, yes, for sure, for sure. So then we were just operating with gestures which we would have to be translated into, like even those gestures, they have to be translated, for example. True. Because when you, when you speak, you don't need to, to be looking to the, to the other person's body to understand what the person is saying, because it sounds, and then the sounds, they travel, right? But gestures, when you don't talk, you have actually to look to the other person and look into the eyes or look into the body and translate what the other person is saying. So this demands more attention. So this demands more dedication to the other, like to the other to the other's way of expressing, to the other's language, what the other person is trying to say through another medium that is not voice and not words. So this makes it more focused on the other and not so distracted, let's say, that you can just do whatever while the other person is saying, like as we do, for example, we listen to music uh, while we're doing other things. We put a podcast while we are doing other things. We are not, we don't need to be looking to the person talking uh, to understand what the person is saying using that language. And you also cooked at Hora as a, as a group together. So how was that? Well, it was very fascinating. It was very, very fascinating. I have to thank to everyone that was very, very lovely that all of them, they accepted to cook there on the last day of the residency. It was my first time as well being the chef there. So kind of um, 
leading the decision making somehow or facilitating a little bit more or having a little bit more power on the decision making of what we were cooking. Even if there it was it, it became more open, Joey and Hadi, they were cooking something else, they were frying some onions. But kind of the I was like in charge of the quantities, let's say, in order to have the, the the amounts of meal that we needed to have for that day. How many meals did you make? I think we did. I think between three hundred and fifty and four hundred, maybe wow. three hundred and seventy, three hundred eighty. In collaboration with the team of Cora. In collaboration, yes, with other volunteers from the kitchen, yes. It was wonderful, like uh, the going there, arriving there at nine in the morning, and uh, coming out of the kitchen at four something in the afternoon. Chopping, cooking, cleaning, uh, serving, packing, and then cleaning the whole building before we leave. Everyone stayed at the end uh, from from our group, and it was a privilege for me. It was like I, I felt very lucky that um, that everyone said yes, that everyone supported and cared for my proposal, for my suggestion to cook there. So it's a way of sharing with the others that are not from the city and with whom. I have been sharing the last seven weeks together, a part of myself. And it's also and it's also another way of relating with a space that exists in the city that is not just there going to have a conversation or asking for stuff or making questions and going through like a small interview or doing a tour of the space. It's just a different level of relating with the space. I would like to close our conversation today with um, a quote from Ailton uh, Krenak. Uh, from the book Ideas for Postponing the End of the World that you proposed to me. Actually, you were reading it, and I took the chance to read it as well. It's a very small book that's talking about um, indigenous and other forms of knowledges. Krenak says, Our time is specialized in producing absences, in the sense of living in society, in the very sense of the experience of life. This generates a great intolerance towards those who are still able to experience the pleasure of being alive, dancing and singing, and it's full of small constellations of people around the world who dance, sing and make it rain. My provocation about postponing the end of the world is exactly to always be able to tell one more story. One more story. So this idea of that we always have time for one more story, and I'm wondering what's your next story? <laughs> I think there are a few. I think it's continue being undone and done constantly. Understanding that that we are, or that I am, that situations and 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 feelings and emotions I can live in the same body, and one doesn't. It's not a. It's not such a, uh, a dichotomy between two elements inside of me, always a struggle. I think this is, this is one of them, to understand that a lot of things that can live inside of me and then can be nourished, nur- nourished and they are not conflictive, they, are not, they don't erase each other. I just wanted to say one thing before, I think when he says, the, when uh, Krenak says this, uh, Ailton Krenak says that uh, we always be able to tell one more story is to have more people to tell more stories. It's not to have... Because we can we can still tell stories. If are the same people telling stories, then the diversity of stories are not very big, are not very wide. So I think what it what he says this, and it, of course it comes from the Krenak Nation, that it's also for for to, for them to be able to tell the stories. I think this is one of the the teachings that I that I that I got from 
the learnings or teaching? So to be, um, to have more people that are able to listening. And to tell stories. Because I think this is what we are doing here in this planet, which is just to tell stories and to listen to stories. And then we just produce all these fictions around us, um, houses and cities and bureaucracy and money and so on in order for us to tell stories. Or love stories or hate stories or disputes on murder or mystery, all these things. What he claims, and this is the thing that I learned from reading, reading a lot of, um, a lot of uh, indigenous knowledge and indigenous stories from, from, from Brazil, is that is the, what they claim is not so much everyone should live the way that we live and everyone should change their ways of, of living in order to save the planet because we are dependent on the planet that we are living. But it's just saying, let us live this way, meaning that you can also find other ways of, of other way, other types of way of living. Meaning that you also can create and can, can tell other types of stories that we also are, are very captured by the, our imagination is very captured by the, by the place that we are living in the structures that we are living. And what they say is that we can tell other stories. We can, if we told these stories until now, we told the story of money, we told the story of democracy, we told the story of uh, cities, we told the story of marriage, we told the story of education, we can also tell other stories. These are all fictions. Nothing is, nothing is permanent, nothing is crystallized. So it's just a matter of telling other stories. Everyone has a single story and everyone has a different story that we can, that we can nourish and we can, and we can facilitate more and more people to tell more and more different stories. I will keep that, that everyone has a different story. And thank you for sharing yours. It's been lovely talking with you. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much, Mirto. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the UNASSE Residency Program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by UNASSE Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme. <laughs>